Your body is unique. So why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hello, this is Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. If you're new to the show, welcome. Each week I have a comedian, comedy writer, director, etc. come on to play one of their jokes and discuss how and why they wrote it. As I think about it, the joke is the tip of the iceberg and the interview is about exploring what's under the surface. For fans of the show, welcome back. You might have noticed some changes already. We're now part of the Vox Media Podcast Network, and they spent $14 million on a new logo and the theme song. Half of that went to the drum sound alone. Also, we're going weekly. But that's it. Same show, with great jokes and great guests. To celebrate the relaunch, we have a two-week series on comedians with the name Michelle that was definitely not just a coincidence. Next week, we have Michelle Wolf, and this week we have Michelle Buteau, who you might know as host of the Netflix reality show The Circle, her roles in Always Be My Maybe, and the First Wives Club reboot on BET+, or a fantastic, dynamic, conversational, big-hearted stand-up. And she has her first one-hour special coming out on Netflix, which she's taping on March 1st at New York Sony Hall. I know, that's soon. I've never spoken to a person right before they're about to tape a special. If you want to go, tickets are available on the Sony Hall website. The joke we talked about was from Michelle's 15-minute set as part of Netflix's comedy lineup, which came out in the summer of 2018, but was recorded in February 2018 three months after the reports of sexual misconduct came out about Harvey Weinstein, leading to the explosion of the Me Too movement. Michelle's joke, which you'll hear in a bit, is her processing all she was seeing and hearing and in turn boiling it down to one perfect phrase. So here is me and Michelle Buteau. So I'm here with Michelle Buteau. Thank you for joining me. Yes, honey. We've uh, been trying to make this happen. So I know. We I'm, so, did. I'm so excited. Um, I want to start, when talking about the joke, I want to start with turning 40. Uh, since that's how you start this Netflix set, mm-hmm. just to set the stage, um, you started doing stand-up, I believe, is four days after 9-11, give or take. Mm-hmm. So that's in 2001. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your first album, Shut Up, comes out in December 2016. In July 2017, you turned 40. I actually just want to clarify. I actually do have another album that no one's ever heard of. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> it came out, I believe, in 2006 or seven. It's called Butopia. <laughs> Um, I, I like I was like one of those guys outside of Macy's on 34th mm-hmm. Street, Penn Station, like being like, you want to buy an album for me? I got this album as a CD or maybe a DVD. <gasps> Who knows what it was? But I was selling it and no one bought it. Oh, my God. If someone has that, that's like a 
Then throw it away. (laughs) You need to Marie Kondo your shit and throw that away and come see me because it's better. (laughs) I had no idea. I know. Nobody does. Wow. It was really before Google, you know? (laughs) Yeah. This was like when people were like, do you have the YouTube and meant it? Yeah. Um, So for this Netflix half hour, this is after you've turned 40. Um, it, this one's a Netflix 15 minutes. The next thing, 15. Geez. Yes. For the, so for this Netflix this 15, okay. uh, this is after you've turned 40. Did your approach to stand-up change? Did anything about sort of what you talked about feel like a change? Did how you present yourself evolve over time? Yeah, I mean, I feel like growing up doing stand-up really was like free therapy for myself because not only do you change on stage, you change, you change as a woman. And so I feel like when I first started stand-up for the first few good years, I was talking about what people thought I should talk about mm-hmm. and I was doing it for them I wasn't doing it for me but by the time you hit 40 you were just like the end of the color purple and you're just like whatever sugar Avery I'm gonna make these pants with pleats <laughs> and Danny Glover can go live on a plantation by himself cause he ugly too so you kind of like just you know find your inner you know Seely mm-hmm. and um, keep it all the way moving and so when I turned 40 and was still doing stand up I was just like okay yeah, this is great. I don't remember when it was, but I remember the first time I saw you talking about turning 40 on stage. And it did feel so different. I mean, I've probably been seeing you for at least 10 years. And it just felt like, I just felt like more rooted is yeah. what I thought. I don't know what it was. It's just like, there's just more something. Substance, yeah. really. Because, you know, when you have a sassy personality, it doesn't matter what you say. People just hear, hey, girl, hey. Yeah. So it's nice to talk about something that not everybody can relate to, but, you know, people can relate to going through something. And also, I think there's real power in um, the truth, right? Nobody says their age. Yeah. And if they do say their age, you're like, I'm 23 and life is so hard. <laughs> is it, bitch? Is it with your good oiled knees and your edges and the look of hope on your face? You know what I mean? And your shit don't smell like brisket yet? Is it nice? Shit. Um, this feels very... I'm sorry. I got a little... The okay. coffee is very strong here no, in the office. Okay. Um, so in October 2017, now to completely change tone. Yes, low budget James Lipton. Give me the uh, dates. So in October 2017, uh, the reports about Harvey Weinstein come out a few weeks later. The Louis C.K. story comes out. Uh, Can you walk me through your headspace as you're processing all these stories? When Trump was caught, um, we caught the audio right before the debates and Mm -hmm. he apologized. And, you know, when he was just like, you can grab by the pussy, you grab him wherever. When you're famous, they just let you do it. And then he still went on to be president, fuck the Electoral College. And Billy Bush's life was over. I was like... Wow, and that kind of spawned the Me Too movement and the Time's Up because if we can't get it up there, we're going to get it on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I was like, shit, Trump is really the straw that broke the camel toe. And... I thought that was so funny, but also like you get it, yeah. you know, sort of like a battle cry. I've been to I was going to a lot of marches and, you know, like a lot of a lot of the chants were hilarious, but also like, you know, um, powerful. And so I'm like, this is the time like mm-hmm. we need to. This is really sad and we need to make this, um, you know, not funny, but triumphant. And so when I people really weren't into like the camel toe joke and I'm just like, you are still not ready for what a woman has to offer. Yeah. You know, so um, and also the guy people were just getting canceled left, right and center. It was like 
It was at that point, it was like the coronavirus. It was just like, oh, five, 20, 25, 45. Like every, if you were just a white dude in a suit anywhere, Mm -hmm. you were just checking yourself. (laughs) Even motherfuckers at Enterprise were like, oh shit, what did I do? Yeah, Yeah, it was crazy. Did you debate not talking about it on stage? Never. Why? Look, that's what I'm here for. This is why I do yeah. stand-up. You know what I mean? This is why I do stand-up. I've been doing stand-up long enough where I feel confident in saying something that doesn't garner a laugh, mm-hmm. but makes people think. And at this point, this is what we need to do because when politics and entertainment start to intertwine in a way where we can't figure out what's real and what's not, well, like let's take back the fucking night. Yeah. There were a lot of clubs who were like, don't do political jokes because it's it incites a lot of heckling. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the place where we're supposed to do those <laughs> yeah. fucking jokes. So, yeah, you know, like in a dark room somewhere in Brooklyn, it's like this is where we're supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to feel less alone. This is our platform. Before we go any further, I think let's listen to the joke, which was filmed in February 2018. So three months after the Weinstein story came out. It's been a very interesting year for me because a lot of my guy friends have just come out as predators. Yeah, like I always knew, but it was like really their journey to figure it out. (laughs) Good guy friends, comedian guys, call me up talking about, I don't know if I assaulted somebody. I don't know if I offended somebody. I'm like, how do you not motherfucking know? Uh, Read the goddamn room, man. If she looks like she's breathing bad air and has said no three or four times, it's a no. Also, guys, don't take your dick out. Who's taking their dick out? Nobody wanna see your dick. Nobody wanna see your dick. You know somebody wants to see your dick if they say, let me see your dick. I wanna see that dick. That's how you know somebody wants to see your dick, guys. Matt Lara, nobody wants to see your crusty bit of dick. Yuck. <laughs> Louis C.K., nobody wants to see that ginger dick. No, thank you. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, huh, huh, huh. Nobody wants to see that pastrami mess. Yuck. <laughs> Charlie Rose, how did he get his adult diaper off to show his dick? I don't know. <laughs> what? James Franco? Put a pin in that shit. I'm gonna see his dick. <laughs> James Franco, I want to see your dick. Ooh, I want to see James Franco's dick. James Franco, I want to see your dick. If you come to a party at my house, please do not bring your dick. Bring rosé and hummus, okay? And some pita chips. Ooh, so salty and crunchy, yes. Nobody wants to see that dick. Nobody wants to see your dick. <laughs> oh my God. He, now he talking to his friend. Nobody wants to see my dick, no one told me that. Yeah man, I'm telling you right now, I got a special, a microphone, lashes, nobody wants to see your dick. <laughs> oh my God. So do you remember, so when you first talked about it on stage, it was the straw that broke the camel toe joke 
Ish. Yeah, that's where it started. And I would just sort of kind of um, riff. Yeah. You know, because I didn't know where... I didn't know where I was going, mm-hmm. but I know I know what I wanted to say, but I didn't know how to say it yet. And then, um, you know, I was talking to my husband about it, and he's really good at sort of uh, not checking me, but checking in with me mm-hmm. and being like, well, what do you really want to say? And I was like, I just want a battle cry mm-hmm. for people, not just women, for people who are in this position you know, who are about to, um, you know, figure out if they're going to cross the line and say something, whether it's to a superior or to that person or to a friend. Like, I just, I just, you know, want to give them a, a phrase to yeah. say. And then um, we were just talking about it. And I don't know why I was just like, ah, oh, all these old men, nobody wants to see their dick. Like, why are people taking their dicks out? Mm-hmm. And my husband's like, what? I said, nobody wants to see their dick. He's like, there you go. I said, there I go. And so I remember he came with me that night and I tried it out on stage. And and it it I you know, you know when something works. Yeah. And I was like, oh, the right nipple's hard because that's the one that's still working. <laughs> I said, okay, here we go. So it is is that sort of normally your how you write? Like are you do you have sort of an idea and then you talk it out? Are there parts that you will literally sort of sit down and write? I have to, but I mean everyone has a different process, but for me, I really like to talk about experiences. Mm-hmm. And so if I've gone through something, it, it's usually personal. Yeah. Um you know, I'll talk to a friend or my husband and just off the top of my head saying stuff out loud. That's how I get the juices flowing. Mm-hmm. And if someone's chuckling, I'm like, oh, that could be a laugh somewhere else. And then so I just like write down like three or four bullet points and yeah. just figure out how to flush that out and make it a beginning, middle end for a five minute bit. And just like try the five minutes. And sometimes five grows into 15. Sometimes it don't. Yeah. You know, she'll tell you what she wants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You let the audience tell you what the joke needs to be at some point. Yeah. You know, you don't have to force it. Um, so it's interesting because that you have a conversational style and that it starts in many ways, like from conversations. Yeah. Well, that's my vibe. Yeah. I realize like 18 years in the business, like my vibe is a tipsy Sunday afternoon Kiki at a drag brunch. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, so I want to go through a few each section of the joke and talk about a little bit about how it evolved or what you were trying to say. So the joke opens with. Arguably like the most joke joke of the joke, which is yes. um, it's been a very interesting year for me because a lot of my guy friends have come out very long pause mm-hmm. uh, as predators. So why, why start there? Um, because I think I I think it's really fun to get people on your side for, um, you know, for yes, I'm, I'm going left, but. I'm getting them on my side for two different things. They know I'm an ally, right? Yeah. So if you come out, that is fucking beautiful. And I remember um, I actually said that to my friend a long time ago, my very long time friend, this white girl named Jen from Jersey. She has very Catholic parents and she was really um, distraught and didn't know how to come out. And she's like, but you don't understand. Like, you know, you I have to tell people that I'm 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 gay and they just assume that I'm straight and this that and the other and it's like always a thing I have to do and I said girl sometimes I gotta come out the closet and tell people I'm black they don't know mm. they're just talking shit about black people but eh, 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 excuse me yeah <laughs> 
So, and I, I don't know, and this was me trying to help her out through a dark time, right? And so I was just like, oh, that's funny for no damn reason. And that was years ago. So yeah. I was so glad. I'm just like, oh, yeah, that. So, yeah, my, my guy friends come, come, came out. And sometimes I feel bad because the crowd will be like, yeah, yeah. loud and proud. and like, Oh, because they laugh. They're just happy for you. Yeah, they're just happy that, like, you know, people are coming out the closet. But, um, <laughs> yeah, there's that, too. I mean, there were good guy friends of mine who were just like, will you look at this text? Will you listen to this situation? Yeah. You know, and I'm like, you got to do better. Yeah. If you have to ask, then you should just know. Yeah, and then you, you write this joke and they're all like, oh, this... <laughs> This joke is a good way of telling them that like. Oh, for sure. A lot of my friends are like, is this joke about me? You then say um, if she looks like she's breathing bad air and she said no three or four times. The phrase breathing bad air I thought was so interesting. <laughs> I just like it's. A, I just never. People, even, I just never seen it. I was like, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, people. I mean, this is I am horrible at examples, but also like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if. If you want to ride with a bitch, right? So it's just like, if you ever see somebody that looks at like um, a, a piece of sushi that they've never seen before and they're like, what is that? Or they're just, yeah. you know, like. Did you try different examples? Or no. But, yeah, I feel like that's the most clear. Yeah. And it's clean. It's like a very quick way of getting to it. Yeah. So you then get to the this sort of catchphrase of it or the r- battle cry. Yes. You, you have a way with these sort of phrases that are, that you'll come back to, you know, w- what do you like about it? What is the value for, for lack of a better word, a, a, a catchphrase or a, a slogan in your act? I mean, really to remind me, <laughs> to remind them, you know, I, I don't think we need to overcomplicate shit. Yeah. We can keep it simple. I like short emails. I like short text messages. I like advice you could fit on a magnet. Yeah. We can get to the goddamn point. Yeah. Beginning, middle, end. Yeah, it's just so direct. It's yes. not like it's you could talk about this issue for like hours, but like yeah. ultimately like this is the thing that we need to get at yeah, right I'm, away. I'm always like, what's the takeaway? Mm-hmm. You know, what did I remember from that? Yeah, and you you um I've heard, listened to certain episodes of podcasts you've hosted and you'll like keep on saying it's like now become a thing that you you've taken what why has it stuck with you as a thing to sort of revisit like that what's that to keep on because i I remember you'd like sign off episodes i think i listened of adulting or maybe late night wherever where you said like and no one nobody wants to see your dick um i don't really remember when i'm hosting stuff um I'm just sort of like blackout mode, mm-hmm. especially in front of a live audience. So who knows? Thank God people press record sometimes because I'm like, what are the receipts? Oh, that was great. Do you remember that? No. I was just having a conversation. Do you remember how you ordered food? No. You just do it because it feels natural and you got to eat. But um, yeah, I mean, for certain, nobody wants to see your dick was definitely something I said before in conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I also say, you know... Um, Wear condoms because you're too cute yeah. for bacteria. Yeah, that was the other one I was thinking of. I sort of your sign off phrase. Yes, because people want to do it, but they're just like afraid. It's like don't be afraid. Just wear some condoms, protect yourself. Yeah, people want to hold it up, hold it up. But you know, you don't have to give whatever you got to somebody else. That's terrible. So you then the joke then goes into like a, a sort of mini scene, I guess if you will, where uh, you explain how you know if someone wants to see your dick. Yes. Do you feel like at that point you have to like instruct the audience of like yes. You needed something positive. Like, it's possible that people want to see it. This is how you know. Yes. I mean, 
I really want to um, be mindful when I say this because I feel like every woman's story is important if they feel like they have been violated in some way. Mm-hmm. There were some st- follow-up stories about bad dates yeah. that I felt like could have thrown a wrench into the movement. Now, if you have a bad date that is different than your boss or, you know, your husband or whoever Mm -hmm. that is just holding you down and making you feel like you can't get to the next level or you don't feel safe or secure. Right. So the fact that like someone was like wrote a blog that went viral and was just like, I wanted the red wine. He made me drink the white. It's like, okay, that's not what we're talking about. You know what I mean? So it's like, for me, it was important to say, hey, guys, sometimes we don't know how to act, but it's on you to say or be like, OK, I recognize that you do not know what to do in this situation. So I'm going to make you feel safe and secure mm-hmm. and, and just leave it up to you. Don't force the situation. Do you know what I mean? So it's like if you get the consent, the go ahead is just like, oh. You yeah. know, I just saw Parasite. That was a great movie. I saw Get Out, one of my favorite movies. You know what I see now? Yo, dick. <laughs> That's how you know. Yeah. Because someone has told you. And I think, it, you know, a lot of people don't want to say that sometimes. Yeah. But if they're acting like they want to say, then you know. You, deep down inside, know. Yeah. I'm, I- not, take, I'm not taking that shit where I didn't know. I, I, you know, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that, you know, she didn't want to see my dick. Come on. No you, one's going to yeah. be as excited as you. <laughs> oh, God. I just wish guys could suck their own dick. I feel like the world would be a better place. So then the next section, you, you go through the list of men. Uh, how did that come up? How did that evolve? What do you mean, how did that come up? I would just open up the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, how did the idea of like, let me just list them. Well, again, that was an, that was a riff on stage yeah. where I was just like, can you believe that this that this motherfucker who made all these movies and everyone's like, he's so powerful. Can you believe can you believe America's sweetheart on the morning show? Matt Lauer. Yeah. Can you believe? And then it just sort of kind of happened. Yeah. And I would just, you know, I love crowd work and I would ask the audience, do you want to see his day? I don't. Who would want to? Yeah. Not even if I wanted a better position. <laughs> so you would just <laughs> I will of, go yeah. back to DeVry to get a master's before I want to see that gray little fucking bitter dick before 6 a.m. in the goddamn morning. Today on today, Matt Lauer's dick. No, thank you. So it'd be like this. You'd riff on it and... Al Roker would be like, <laughs> a big shady front is coming your way. This is so dumb. Um, Can you believe I'm someone's mom? Yeah, two people's moms. Two people's moms. Two people's moms. Some some people's moms. You contain multitudes. (laughs) Oh my God. I do. Yeah, so do you, um, like for like the Harvey Weinstein, which is my favorite one, which you call Dick a pastrami mess. Yes. You just riff and then like you'd remember the ones that really stuck. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then... Charlie Rose, I like also, which is adult diaper off. Yes. Um, and then James Franco, the news of James Franco comes out and you add it on your. Look, James, it was funny because James Franco would, for me, felt like a rumor for so long. Yeah. And um, 
And it was, and then it wasn't, and then it was, and then it wasn't. And I'm just like, well, what the fuck is it? Either way, look, if I'm going to have to see a dick, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> if I got to make the lemonade. <laughs> sure. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Um. So. Like, just, if, you know, if yeah. they're going to objectify us, I'm going to objectify you. Yeah. I mean, in my mind. Well, so, so I think it's a, you are empowered on stage. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings that part of you out, which is sort of like, just to be clear, like, if there's a person's dick I want to see, I'm going to see it. Yeah. By the way. (laughs) You've seen his dick? No. That's what the smiling made. Oh, no. I was thinking about something else. I'm so sorry. Oh. (laughs) No, I'm cool. All right. Um, So then you go into the part about, if you come to a party at my house, please don't bring your dick. Bring rosé and hummus. Well, yeah, because people are like, what can I bring to the party? I feel like this is a theme of yours. I feel like you've talked about this a lot. Oh, of course. Look, (laughs) parting parting words of wisdom for adulting. They're like, what do you have, Michelle? I'm just like, bring the rosé chill. They're like, we got to do something besides rosé. I said, why? It makes me happy. But um, yeah, getting back to my vibe and uh, what you'll get at a show, like whether it's me hosting a TV show or a comedy show, it's it's a big dinner party vibe. Yeah. Um, where you got to pick up your plate and fucking clean it and take your shoes off and be polite. Like, I want to hang, but have some fucking manners. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that was like a perfect way to tie that joke. So th- so then, but the joke ends at least on the, in the 15 minutes with an audience member that I imagine obviously wasn't a plant. Did you, did you no. have, had that happened in other times doing the joke? Of where- course. So you sort of had it locked and loaded. In case. Look, I'm, once you're on stage, you're locked and loaded. Yeah. You cannot, to do stand-up, it is not the same every time, even though you say the same words. The beautiful part about stand-up, too, is that it is different every time. You never know what you're going to get. So I like to look at people's faces, and I sometimes know what they're thinking. And so they're like, these two guys were talking to each other definitely about their dicks yeah. and some, like, is this true or have you done it or whatever it was. And I was like, it true. It true. And a lot of women are like, you know, sort of agreeing with me, but they don't want people to see it's, it's wild. It's interesting. Cause I think there's, there are certain comedians who, you know, you, you will have crowd work in, I think you had crowd work in your, your comedy central half hour, your crowd work on shut up the album that I heard, not the album that no one knows about. Um, <laughs> You know, I think and some comedians might be like, oh, no, the these should be pristine records of your material. Good but, for them. Do yeah. that. So I what, like it messy. I like to talk to people. Stand up is all about connecting. And, you know, um, if you're good at crowd work like I am, then do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? If That's, you're good at writing like Seinfeld S jokes, then do that. I think everyone's got a lane. Yeah. I like to keep it messy. It's a party. Like, are you just going to talk to yourself at a dinner party? No. <laughs> <laughs> when you um you you talk about like when it's going really good it's like you you black out on stage. Yes. Are you are you do that even in TV sets like this? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you memorize the lines and then you go out there and you have fun and it becomes a conversation. You become that person, you're like really in that scene. And so a lot of times people will be like, "That was so great. Can you say that line again?" I'm like, "How did I say it?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You're going to have to play it back. Truly. You know, you're a comedian who feeds off the energy of an audience for a joke like this, where the energy might be, especially working out, difficult to sort of read. Different people might. Was it harder? What did you learn from that? It's crazy. I will say for this joke, 
nobody wants to see your dick. I have to I have to be in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Like I um am not gonna wait for people to get on my side. This is my many woman's march. In the year and a half that I was doing that joke, I think it fell flat twice. Yeah. Um all the other times, mostly standing ovation, <laughs> which is fucking bananas. Mid set. No, you closed. Well, did I close on that? No, this was in the middle. That's so crazy because yeah. now, then I started closing on it and I'm like, fuck. And then I would update it because there was always yeah. some dummy in the news. And so, you know, and then I would have people say it back to me. And it was crazy, especially like outdoor shows. And, uh, you know, my agents and my friends would be like, I've never seen this shit. I was like, I've never seen this shit either, but it's fucking important. Yeah. Because it's, it's not going to stop. It's, and, and people would like um, DM me from Japan, from um, Prague, from Brazil. And they'd be like, this guy said this when I was on the street and I was with my friends and they took their dick out. And I yelled, nobody wants to see your dick. I say, yes, bitch, you yeah. fucking tell them. And then people would take pictures at museums. Like a fucking David and shit in Italy and like why all these dicks out here and be like, hashtag nobody wants to see this. I say yes, we don't want to see that yeah. dick no more. We're tired. Are you okay? That's funny. It is funny, but it's real. Yeah, because it's just something. Now you have something that you can say. Um, you, you've talked. Say ab- it. You've talked about. Say it. What? Nobody wants to see your dick. Nobody wants to see your dick. But say it like you mean it. I feel like it did. That's how I say what I mean. It really quiet. It. Nobody oh, wants to see your dick. God, I'm bleeding. Go ahead. Uh, uh, I've heard you talk about how at some point during stand-up you decided, you know, if people are paying at your job to show them a good time yeah. and work for it. What, yes. is, what does it mean for a joke like this in terms of that? I mean, you pointed out, but, you know. Well, I think it's your job, uh, you know, I think it's... Uh, your job as a human being, as an ally, as a feminist, whether mm-hmm. you're male or female, you know, d- to comment on um, what's happening in the world, right? So, y- yeah, when people come to a show, I will be polite to you and put on a red lipstick and try to fucking act like I care because you paid money. Thank you so yeah. much. Thoughts and prayers. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's really hard not to. And I don't want to, I don't need to be Don Lemon about it. Yeah. I don't need to be preachy about it, but we have to say something. Yeah. We'll be right back with more Michelle Buteau. Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. It's a weight management program that uses psychology and biology to help you develop healthy, sustainable habits. Noom believes that weight loss starts with the brain, and their daily lessons are tailored to help users understand the science behind food cravings and eating choices. Whether you want to lose weight, increase physical activity, meet a health goal, or simply change the way you think about food, Noom can help you build healthy habits while still enjoying your favorite foods. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. 
Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. And we're back with Michelle Buteau. As I said, you started doing stand-up days after 9-11, and um, you talked about how uh, in they your day job offered you therapy and instead you sort of was like I'm going to do stand up yeah. and then you you joke about how you know you did you stand up because you can't afford therapy um and I think there's two ways in which a comedian can use the stage as therapy one is essentially like using the audience to sort of dump their problems on or their darkness uh to an audience that isn't sort of necessarily expecting it and then hope and then just being like take this from me I don't want to feel bad anymore and the other which is I think more what you're doing is you you're working with the audience to sort of process information. Mm-hmm. You're helping them process, and you're doing it together. Um, so the question I sort of have is like, did not just sort of did it make you feel better to do this? But you know, w- what do you think working on this joke helped you with? What did you learn? What do you hope the audience experiences from it? What do you think they took away? I mean, let's be honest. I think, and I I play a lot of different rooms, you know, um, gay rooms, straight rooms, uh, all all the things, mm-hmm. because I believe people are people, and if you can find some universal material, then then like that's where it, that's the heart of it, right? And so I do believe that there is a percentage of men who do not believe people are taking their dicks out, and mm-hmm. this behavior is happening, and taking your dick out is just one of the things, yeah. Men are inappropriate with women all the time. And other men. Mm-hmm. All the time. Um, and you don't always know what to do in that situation. You could be, you could be, you know, the most powerful woman in charge, and somebody will still try to take you down a notch in front of people, mm-hmm. and you still have to question yourself and be like, what do I do? So it's it's just like an it's it's so deep seated that we don't even know how to fucking unpack it. And if I can do a joke where it's like a drop in the fucking bucket where people will have a conversation and be like, a guy's really taking dicks out or damn, I took my dick out. And I didn't even think that she, cause guys have taken their dick out in front of me as a party trick, puppetry at the penis at a party, like all in a, in a, in a green room thinking it's fucking funny. Look at this. Does this look like it's weird? Do I look like Dr. Oz? Like what the fuck? So, you know, the fact that they don't see it as aggressive mm-hmm. or it would make people feel uncomfortable is crazy. 
And I honestly don't know why I haven't talked about it before. None of us really did. Yeah. And I think with having such a, a such a monster in charge, you know, he's so bad shit that it really gives us license to be like, well, fuck, no one's taking care of us mm-hmm. now, so we got to take care of each other. We need to be Lord of the Flies in the best way possible. <laughs> Real talk. Yeah. So, um, I already fucking forgot your question. Um, what what did working on this joke do for you? You know, like did did it, you know ultimately if you're processing things on stage? Yeah. What did the process? What have you? What did you learn from the experience? You know what? I learned that um, you can be powerful and funny at the same time, mm-hmm. and um, you don't have to be liked. And I think that's a big thing sometimes with stand-up, especially if you're, like, the sassy one or, like, the nice one or whatever the fuck. You know, I nobody wants to be dragged on the internet. Nobody wants to, like, you know, get canceled or whatever the fuck we're doing to people now. But to mention people by name in your stand-up routine is not necessarily, like, the best. Mm-hmm. But if these are convicted and proven uh, sex offenders, then it's really just, like, not just about them. It's all the other guys doing it. And it's not even about those women working for these powerful men. It's also about that woman working at Taco Bell who wants to get her, her uniform three sizes bigger because she doesn't like the way her manager looks at her when she has to bend over and open a box. But he's giving her all the boxes to fucking open. Mm-hmm. It's for that bitch. In general, you know, what do you want from and f- for your audience? Man, I want people to fucking be kind to each other in person, on the Internet. Just be cool. Think about what you say before you say that shit. Also, at the end of the day, we just people black, white, Spanish, Indian, Pakistani, whatever fucking America, North, South, just like. The internet has made the world smaller, but let's take advantage of that and learn about each other instead of being like, this motherfucker here does this, and this bitch smell like that. It's just like, ugh. Fuck, man. Can't we just hug each other and go to bed? I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Um, As you said, you know, the stories. I'm so tired. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Um, You said the stories, you know, these stories kept on coming out. They also have evolved since, you know, court cases of yeah. these people happening yeah they're not taking the dick out they raping people that's <laughs> fucked up how has the have you kept on talking about this has this specific joke grown you know um you know what's funny is that um i'm really glad it went low-key viral because people were like putting this shit on tote bags yeah and uh selling them without asking me <laughs> <laughs> bitch um but i'm glad um You know, in the meantime, I've had um, boy-girl twins. Mm -hmm. And so my life has um, drastically changed for the better. And so, you know, like I said, I talk about my experiences. So, And I've I've worked really hard to be a mom. And so I'm so glad I get to be at the place where I get to make those tired mom jokes. (laughs) So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. Yeah. For a few minutes, I want to discuss the fact that, like, any day now you're about to tape your first hour special yes which is exciting because it's exciting for you but it's exciting for me because <laughs> i don't usually talk to people literally right before they do it right usually like right after or like an a year afterwards so um <laughs> but you know 
obviously it's months before it's airing, but can you tell me anything about how you're thinking about or planning to approach the special? God, if I had a plan, honey, <laughs> okay, I would be in the south of France um, with some cornrows, like clapping my ass like Lizzo with ice in my rosé. Bitch, just leaving the sand in my body hoping it makes a pearl. Um, as right. an hour special. As an hour special. Um, as a docu, as mm-hmm. a mockumentary. Mm-hmm. Um, do I have a plan? No. My plan is always to be funny and truthful and um, inclusive. Yeah. Uh, responsible with my words. I think people should also take responsibility for some shit and don't act like just because you're putting it out there, who's listening? It's just like, you know, everything, everything means something. Okay. So where the fuck am I going with this? But yeah, I mean, the hour just shaped up by itself, really. I wrote some stuff down. I went on tour. I tried it. Um, I took the stuff that worked. I took mm-hmm. the stuff that meant something. And I made this beautiful hour. And I honestly, um, you know, like I said before, worked so hard to have these kids and yeah. went through so much physically and emotionally um, that stand up, you, you know, was hard for me and then also saved me. And so I always in the back of my mind was just like, God, I can't wait to be a mom. I can't wait to be a mom. And so I just, the minute they showed up, I'm just like overwhelmingly inspired. And whether you're a mom or not, it's really not about that. It's um, just about going through something and finally fucking getting there and, and having mm-hmm. the license to complain about it because you worked so hard for it. It's like, yeah, I worked hard for it so I can love it and complain about it too. Is it, is is the entire hour about that? No, no. I've had a good ass year. I'm so that's a, about that. I have had a good ass year. Can you mention other? No, bits? I cannot mention uh, other bits. Okay. Excuse me, Barbara Walters. What do you think you're doing? I'm not saying do the bits, though. If you want to just do a full bit, I guess we can include that. Um, <laughs> so we, we're less than two weeks away. Is yes. is is the setless set? Setless is set. How did how did you get to that point where you're like this is it? What is it, what is even making a set list look like? Um, you know, for an hour, you I, for me at least, there's got to be a beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. And I think the ending is not just something that is hilarious, but it also is something that um, it's your fortune cookie, it's your drop of knowledge. It's this is who I am. Thank you so much. If you made it this far, you know, good for you. Um, so yeah, I, the set list kind of, um, you know what you need to do, especially like years of doing stand up on the road. It's yeah. just like, you know what you need to do. Do you have, um, looking at your schedule, some warm up shows scheduled next week. What will you be looking for from those shows? God, what a great question. I mean, I think really just to, just to say it, just to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're going to run a marathon, are you just going to run the one time in the marathon? It's like, no, you want to get warmed up and practice and get excited to yeah. run. So yeah. That. It's probably, it's interesting. I've never, the idea that like, I want to do it to be like, this is going to be so fun that I've did this material. It's like, you have your own material and you're excited. You want to get excited to say it. I'm, I'm a firm believer because I have had so many jobs that I did not like. Like, I, I need to love what I do in order to fucking be passionate mm-hmm. and good at it. So I love stand-up. It feels like Christmas every time I get to get on that fucking stage, whether it's five people or 5,000. Yeah. 
I'm like, let's make a memory. Do you have any other special related tasks next week? I mean, I'm also making this an event. This special is not just going to be some theater where you show up and there's like a maroon curtain behind me. It's at Sony Hall, which is, you know, um, a music, it's a music venue. And it has like this great late 80s, early 90s, New York City drag queen in Mm -hmm. roller skates vibe, which I fucking love. Um, Because, you know, I'm New York. And so I think when people hear my material, they're also like, that bitch New York <laughs> and all inclusive and yeah. so yeah I mean there's gonna be drag queens in the audience um, there's gonna be a step and repeat there's gonna be like cocktails and mocktails named after the special I mean it's gonna be like when you come to a show it's you're gonna get a full service event yeah you know and when you watch it I want you to feel like damn I wanna go to New York I wanna see her I want her to come in my town you know I want people to watch that shit and be like New York is a safe place I wanna go there yeah um, you, you've been getting work consistently for a bit now and there, you know, there's never one timeline of how, when someone gets a special or how it works, but you're, you're about 18 and a half years into doing comedy. What do you like about that? This is when you're recording this special, that this is that your first hour is now. Right. I think there's some, I think there's power to a slow burn. Mm. You know, I, when you first start comedy and you see everybody getting all this stuff because they got all the well-crafted like other dick jokes and dating jokes and shit like that and doing drugs and blowjobs and blah, blah, blah. You're like, damn, what about me? What about me? What about me? And you're like still f- trying to figure out who you are and what your voice is and what you really want to say. And like, sure, you can write jokes. But, you know, if it all comes together when it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. So I really believe that my first hour... I, I'm I'm supposed to be in my 40s, and yeah. I'm supposed to be a mother. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned New York and how you play every room, and I feel like people talk about playing every room, but all they mean is they play clubs and like uh, alt rooms. Like, is people were saying it's like, oh, I play this club in the village and this club at a different part of the village. Yeah. But you played like really every room. You play those. Oh. Like, you play BBQs <laughs> in the Bronx and and Chelsea. The back of restaurants, bomb shelters in the Lower East Side. Let's talk about it. Warming up for strippers in Queens for a hot meal. Let's talk about it. Yeah. The Chitlin Circuit in Harlem where everybody was straight up from Africa and I needed like a translator. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Colleges. Yeah. Northeast colleges where motherfuckers show up in pajamas and just come for the chicken tenders. Let's talk about it. Yeah. How did that shape? the comedian you ended up being? How did you make it your own? I mean, it felt like high school. I went to three different high schools and I'm the only child. So it's like, you have to learn how to walk in a room and say hello and shake a hand. So that's kind of like my philosophy with comedy. Because like I said, at the end of the day, people are people. Like, my husband's from Holland. When we go to Holland, I, you know, play rooms there. I've done Paris and London and Jamaica. And it's just like, how do we all get on the same page? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? How do you trust that a woman is funny? Ugh. You know, th- th- this might be a hard question to answer, because, um, but I feel like seeing you now, and also seeing and seeing comedy now, and especially comedy in New York now, um, it's hard for me not to see your influence. In Ooh, you better speak on it, motherfucker! Yes. Like, damn. It. it, it yes. It feels where. Wh- is the marching band, bitch? Well, this is this question is my version thereof. Um, it's almost like 
before you were ahead of your time, and now when I see you at shows, you're like, this time has caught up to you. Mm. Does that resonate with you? Yes, motherfucker. <laughs> yes. And you know what? It is... Um, it would be more of a compliment if people would pay homage to a bitch. Because when people start tweeting shit where, oh, Michelle's trying to act like so-and-so, it's like, oh, sweetie, here are the receipts and it's tax season. I got all of them. Check your YouTube. You better check Comedy Central Premium Blend. No, it's not a coffee. It's a show in 2005, my first TV credit. Yes. Colonialism joke on that fucking set, motherfucker. So this is, again, you know, like whether it's me dancing on stage or off stage or doing the crowd work or being silly and sassy and then like getting to the woke shit, you know, we're all inspired by somebody. It's just like little Richard, Prince, Michael Jackson. We're all inspired by each other. But we have to like let each other know. (laughs) But does it feel, you know, when you're at a show, you're like then you see more people with a sensibility than maybe, uh, you know, a, a show on a, on a Monday night in Brooklyn eight years ago, where now there's more people that are closer to you in style in whatever way that means. Does it feel comfortable? Besides the fact that you'd wish they'd be like, I was influenced by you. I mean, to be honest, for me, um, um, I'm so sensitive, uh, f- not just for me, but for other people, yeah. where I'm just like, oh, you don't have to do this whoever you are, you are enough because it kind of feels like some people catfish um, on stage Mm -hmm. and you don't need to steal another personality because you think that's what's going to work because it might work for other people like a me. You do what you need to do. I think also people fall into like, um, I have to play at a character of a black woman on stage, but black women, we come in all shapes and sizes and colors and personalities. So you really could just introduce the public to a new type of yeah. black woman. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's, it's it's the lesson one would learn is not to do stand up like you, but to do what you did, which was have a stand up that was to yourself. Yes, that was yes not fitting to a box of whatever a, a black woman stand up. But this would is be. the shit too. This is like again this deep rooted deep rooted shit in society where it's like this is who we feel like we have to be because yeah. this is what people have told us. You know um, who we are or what is um, um, successful. Uh, we're playing at this idea, and it's so dumb. At the end of the day, you are enough. Yeah, you are enough. Um, a different th- a thing that makes you very specific and different in your many New Yorkness is uh, you co-own a mid-century, mid-century modern furniture store in Brooklyn. Yay. I, I love it. It's a very good store. It's called Vander Most Modern. Yeah, say it again, honey. Vander Most Modern. Yes. That that I could, that'll sound loud and proud. <laughs> um, which you, you started with your husband who is Dutch and is an expert in this sort of Scandinavian minimalist, minimalist furniture. Um, it's, it is a really great store. And so... Um, only later in life have I started understanding furniture at this level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Largely because my my partner had studied chair making in Copenhagen for us. Oh some, my god, that's and, so hot. So she can explain like why things are important or the level of craftsmanship that's involved yes, in these things. Yes, yes, yes. So this is all to say, being surrounded and exposed to this this level of furniture making and craft with this sort of 
unique vocabulary of aesthetics. Has it influenced the way you view your your work, your stand-up, your craft? Absolutely. I mean, being with someone who gets me is most important. But being with a European um, and seeing the world through his eyes is fascinating. Um, because when... In my crew, when we think of vintage, we think of like some old ass shit that's gonna stink that grandma don't want mm-hmm. no more. Like, ooh, that couch it had plastic on it for twenty years, and now you want to give it to me. But if you can make some stuff that's really well made, then it lasts forever. And you know, I'm realizing we both realize that Americans don't realize the value in what they have, mm-hmm. and they just want to throw it away and get the next new thing. And whether it's fast fashion or um, or furniture, or even friendships. You know, everything, people are just so ready to throw it away. Yeah. And um, I think there's real power in sort of um, recognizing the beauty in something old and making something good. Yeah. Not just, like, doing this, like... Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to diss any companies, but you, you know, yeah, you know, um, because you, 20 years from now, you can't do anything with it. And we're just adding more trash to um, the earth. So, yeah, it's really fun. And also, it's really fun working on something with my husband besides our marriage. Yeah. You know what I mean, besides like keeping a house, it's it's uh, a new conversation. It's something we get to do together. So, I, you know, I recommend it. You know, the. You're talking about making things that that last, and so to sort of bring back to this the special, that I mean that is this is an opportunity to sort of do that, right? It's it's also an opportunity to expose um, your comedy to a larger the world, audience. yeah, the world, especially the world. Netflix is like you are just text messaging the world. Hey, you up? <laughs> how and so how are you thinking about that part of the opportunity, which is that you're though you've been doing comedy for a while, but this is an opportunity to make something that will be brought to the world and presented that I way. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a big, heavy responsibility. If you overthink it, then you're going to take the joy out of it. And yeah. so, like I said before, since I started comedy, you know, like months after I started comedy, I did some in London and I attested this hour in Amsterdam in December. So I, fe- I truly feel like I'm a citizen of the world. You know, my dad's from Haiti, my mom's from Jamaica, my husband's from Holland. Everybody got an accent in my family except for me, but I guess I do have an accent because it's Jersey. Whoops, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. So like, you know, I feel like no matter what somebody will get something and also it really helps that I'm on a few shows on Netflix already yeah. so people be like oh yeah that that's that bitch yeah yeah oh yeah. that person does stand up yes so, you know you we, we talked about it and your, your stand up is conversational it is communicating you've you've talked about why you know people ask you why you did stand up and you'll say like I just need to talk to people I yes. need to talk to as many people as possible yes is is that resonating with like oh I'm about to talk to the most people that I've ever spoken to no you can't think of it that way. No, can't think of it that way. Um, these are the stories that I want to mm-hmm. share that I have to share. And um, this is the most respectful way I can share them. And that's what it is. Yeah. And um, I hope I look good on the on the day of. You you tell a story about um, how you, you want to be a TV journalist, but you had a teacher told you you never make it on camera. My teacher told me. <laughs> Um, in front of the whole class that I was too fat to be on camera and that nobody looked like me. And I was taught to respect my elders. Mm. So I didn't question him or his authority. And he was right. Nobody did look like me. And I was in Miami where everybody looks like Sofia Vergara. So what am I going to, you know, I wish I had that Lizzo confidence (laughs) at that time 
to be like, well, I'm going to make it. But I didn't. I was like, all right, what else can I do then? Hmm. But now, you know, now obviously you 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 book like you get on TV a lot. But this is a, an opportunity where you're not just on a TV show. You are the TV show. Do, are you motivated by that? Do you feel um, how does how does that feel as a person? I mean, like that was 20 whatever years ago. Someone said you can't be on a TV show, but now you are TV. Yeah. You know, again, with the slow burn, I mean, um, I think there's real joy getting to a place where you're so fucking tired and fed up mm-hmm. that you just put it all out there. And people are like, that was so great. It's like, really? Because I could have done that shit 10 years ago. Next. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's when people complain about that they're getting old or that um, Hollywood doesn't want me because I'm old. You are putting that, mm-hmm. you know, in, in into fruition. What if you say to yourself, I'm getting older, therefore I'm getting wiser and I got more shit to share with people because they don't know. And I'm not going to be preachy, but I'm just like, you know, you know what I mean? So I just feel like, fuck, stop blaming everybody else for shit and just like have some joy, take some ownership. So it's very exciting. And I think that, um, you know, with the plus size movement, shit, that's a whole other podcast, honey, because... (laughs) Netflix and streaming services have really changed the game in terms of diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, especially First Wives Club. Oh, my God. I, I Size 18, I'm never having the sex scenes. I'm always the person you talk to about the sex scenes. Here I go. Three or four sex scenes. Legs up in the air. She flexible. No one even fucking knew. Now you know. <laughs> <laughs> So that sound means it's uh, time for our final segment. It's it's called the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because uh, it's comedy, it's a laughing round. That was so underwhelming. Yeah, it's if we play it louder, people really don't like it. So we play it sort of medium volume. Either way, you don't like if people don't like it loud and it's underwhelming when it's low. I'm just saying. Medium. I'm just gonna. Do you want to play it loud? Play it one more time. (laughs) Really pump it. We already did it. So we talked about how you write your your stand up, but what was the process to recording the voiceovers for the circle? Oh, that was really fun, actually. Um, well, I don't. I, I guess I could say because it's like out there. So Studio Lambert, Lambert Studio, the production company, they are um, located in Manchester. Yeah, no, that's that's out there. That, but it's out there, right? That, okay, that, great. That, that they shot every all all yes. the shows. Yes. So so the circle is a reality show, just because you don't know <laughs> where there's a social media app, but they all live in this apartment building. Yes. In the American version, which you are the host, they make it seem like it's. Just America. Yeah, sometimes it's New York, sometimes it's LA. Sometimes sometimes it's Chicago. I know. Just get the stock photos. But you know, the essence of the players obviously represent America, I think, very well. Um, And so the process was fascinating because I got all the episodes before so I can watch them. Mm. And I. I love reality, but I love old school reality like this where it does truly feel like a social experiment and it's not Mm -hmm. people going in with a plan and yelling at each other. You disrespecting me because you didn't like support my Prosecco line. We don't need all that fucking buffoonery. You know what I mean? This is truly like we have to live with social media. How do we represent ourselves in the most respectful way if we want? What does our profile picture say about us? Wow. You know, what do people think about about us, by the way, we just through text? Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. And so also to watch, and and British people are really good at this. That's why we love British Bake Off. The slow burn again of just like, wow, I'm in competition with myself, not just with other people. 
um, is amazing and people forming friendships. So anyways, I watched all the episodes. I fell in love with everybody. I had my favorites. Which were? Not going to tell you. Come on. No, that's like asking me my favorite child or favorite Prince song. I cannot. You do have a photo with you and Chris oh on my your Instagram. Oh my God. But I, I literally said, not my favorite. Just yeah, have no to take a picture. Come on. <laughs> you know, they're very supportive. I When I um, ran my hour in Miami a couple weeks ago, the crew showed up. Yeah. Sammy, Sean, um, uh, Ed's mom, Tammy, like everybody. Sh- I was like, this is, they're so damn cute. You that better is. stop. Um, <laughs> Shuby wasn't there, but like, look, next time. All He's right. got merch now, by the way. But so I watched all the episodes and then I went into, um, what is this called again? A voiceover booth. Thank you so much. And I recorded the shit out of them and they had tons and tons of script. And the great thing about, the producers there too, they were just like, just say it how you want to say it. You know, we can, you know, go, we can do it bigger, we can do it, you know, smaller. And I think they did a really great job. And then the finale, it was just like so fascinating that I got to know people before they knew me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was really fun. Um, do you have a favorite joke joke, like a street joke? Street joke? Like a joke. Like a knock-knock joke or Hmm. someone walks into a bar, blah, blah, blah. My dad used to tell this joke all the time at dinner parties that he really killed it because he really, like, knew how to tell it, but it really wasn't his joke. Um, He said that one of his um, co-workers would be like, oh, Michelle, my dad's name is Michelle. Oh, Michelle, um, my wife wants to talk to me after sex. Do you talk to your wife after sex? And my dad would be like, yeah, if there's a phone around. And But that I found out later that's like Ronnie Dangerfield's joke, but... (laughs) He said it with a Haitian accent, and it was just... You made it his own. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> do you have a joke of another comedian's that you wish you could steal in so much as, you know, just re- you saw a joke and you're like, I wish I thought of that. I wish that was mine. It's a, you know, no, it's another dimension. So everything's exactly yeah. the same, but you have this comedian's one bit. Um, no. No, I think everybody that I love, it's so specific to their voice, you know, whether it's Dave Chappelle basically being like a like the cool curmudgeon uncle at a family reunion or Wanda Sykes talking about uh, menopause and just Mother Nature burning you up or Fortune Feimster talking about not knowing to find her place and, you know, didn't understand why she'd get mad when her friends would leave after a sleepover. You know, whether it's Ali Wong talking about her take on motherhood and Amy Schumer as well. It's just like, I think everybody is doing a great job being specific to their voice. And that's like where the real magic happens. Yeah. Um, Has anyone ever said me? I don't remember. Great. That means no. That doesn't mean no. <laughs> but I also don't remember. So it's possible, but I don't think so. Oh, my God. Do you have a joke that has never worked? You kept on trying it and then audiences just wouldn't buy it. But you will go to your grave and be like, that was funny. Audiences were wrong. Oh, God. I can't remember. I'm sure. Oh, you know what? This is horrible. Um, But also, it's the truth. The Dutch word for look, to look, is kijk. (laughs) I believe it's spelled K-I-J-K, kijk. And so I was trying, I'm always trying to explain this. And everyone's like, not on board. And I understand, but I'm like, don't be offended by the word. Listen to what, because yeah. it's crazy when I'm taking photos in Holland and they're telling the kids, kike, 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 kike. Look at, look at the kid, kike, kike. And I'm just like, oh my God. It's, it's, and I'm not even Jewish, but my whole body gets hot and I'm like, ah! 
I think that's good. But I understand it's super hard, partly because I imagine some audience has never like that slur is so old. It's very antiquated. <laughs> Look, all my references are like Daniel Day Lewis, My Left Foot. Like, is she old? Um, <laughs> last let's, last one. Let's see. Can you do an impression of yourself? Oh God! There you go. There you go. All right. The end. Yay! That's it for another episode of Good One. You can stream Michelle's installment of the comedy lineup on Netflix. If you're in New York, she'll be taping her Netflix one-hour special on March 1st at Sony Hall. For tickets, head to the Sony Hall website or follow a link through Michelle's social media, which you can find at Michelle Buteau. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Art Chung. Gautam Srikashan did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email only comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at goodonepodcast. I am Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with Michelle Wolf. Have a good one. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running. <laughs> <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Teen Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Teen Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.